The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. For the Christian, the primary goal, the most desired thing is to know that I am used of God for the benefit of others, for blessing, to help others grow, to help others mature in their Christian walk, and to see good in the lives of those around me because I am an available and actively used agent of blessing in God's hands. There is no man or woman who does not want to be an instrument in the hands of the mighty God to bring blessing, comfort, hope to a world that is evidently going mad. We ask ourselves the pivotal question, how can I be used of God? Or how can I make a difference in the world around me? The question we wrestle with is, how can my life be impactful for the good of others? Welcome to Beside Still Waters. It's great to catch up with you again at our favorite place, as we often say, in God's presence, to wait on his word, and to make ourselves available Available so that our lives, our thoughts, actions, motives might be transformed. That's, that's the objective. So we come before God asking him to make a character change where we here to before have found it impossible to achieve this. We're looking at Acts chapter 13, the first 13 verses. And there's an interesting development in these verses where Paul takes the time to lay before his Jewish audience the workings of God in Israel's history. So often when we study the scriptures, it's difficult to see the pattern behind the pattern. We see God working uh, in immediate crises, for example, And uh, Paul takes the time to step back and show his audience uh, the clear panorama of God at work 
in the nation's history. So this is panorama mode. There is, however, a hidden message, a truth buried in the bushes, and that is the way of God in the life of a man when God's purpose in the panoramic view is to use an individual to bring that event to pass. So we're looking at man's potential, man's potential in the hands of God. And in each of these events in Acts 13, Paul takes the time to bring before them God at work in bringing the Messiah. However, what's not clearly evident is that when God is intending to mold a man for his purpose and to champion an event among his people and to make his ways known, he is going to use a crisis and he is going to immerse that man in that crisis. The hidden truth is simply this. For God to use a man, he must make him holy. For God to use any person, he must remove ill motives, misdirected purposes, and subjugate self-will. This is the truth behind the events that are laid out in Acts chapter 13. Every crisis identified, for example, in verse 17, the fathers of the nation of Israel were men who passed through crisis, challenge, difficulty. When we start with the sojourn of Israel in Egypt, God used a man by the name of Joseph to rescue not only the nation of Israel as they were 70 souls, but perhaps the whole Middle Eastern world from the ravages of famine. God used Joseph to secure the people, but God raised up Moses when he was prepared to release the people. And he would meet Moses face to face and call him into this divine purpose. We find that in verse 19. When God would move the people into Canaan, that is to inherit the blessing that he promised to the forefathers, he used a man, Joshua. Joshua, whose entire life was devoted to military conquest. So let's pause a moment as we take time to look at one man among many. Today, that man is Joseph. What three essentials are required for God to use a man? For example, when we return to Genesis chapter 45, this is the event where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Finally, there were a series of 
uh, if you will, ruses <laughs> to get his brothers to come face to face with what they had done to their brother Joseph. And chapter 45 culminates in this tension-filled moment when they come face to face with Joseph. And in verse 5, all the way through to about verse 9, Joseph reveals some critical truths that were true to him. And number two, not only were they true to him, but these truths can be true to us. It is not unique to Joseph. We will find that today. My friends, you have opportunity, as do I. And in Genesis 45 and verse 5, the first essential for God to use a man, a person, a human being, the person wanting to be an instrument of blessing and purpose in God's hand must have a vision of God's intention for the trial. Secondly, we find it in verse 7 of chapter 45. The person wanting to be an instrument of blessing and purpose in God's hand must see God's good for those around us. And this good finds its preparation in my trial. And then lastly, in verse 9 of chapter 45, the person wanting to be an instrument of blessing and purpose in God's hand must recognize the honor that God has given to him as a result of this trial. And all one's resources must be garnered solely for the glory of God in the expansion of his kingdom. So I repeat, they must have a vision of God's intention for the trial. They must see God's good for those around them. And this good finds its preparation in that trial. And they must see the honor that God is calling them to. They, as well as their resources, to be used for the glory and the expansion of the kingdom of God. These three are a must in the life of any servant. And so to get to this sacred place, the instrument, the vessel, the human entity must be made holy by and in the fire of trial. No other option. So what does it mean to have a vision of God's purpose for the trial? Is it unreasonable to think that a man would understand what God is purging out of his life? And I use those terms generically. A man, I'm speaking of man and woman, young person, teenager. It makes no difference. I subscribe to you that it is not unreasonable to think that a human being is able to understand the why of the trial. James the Apostle said in chapter 2, verse 2, that we should count it all joy when we encounter various trials. Now, a person counting it a joy, a person embracing the trial, 
must have some clear understanding of what God is accomplishing or attempting to accomplish. That is, we are assured that God is actively, actively at work in our lives. The mystery that needs some illumination by the Spirit of God is we need wisdom to understand the why of the trial. We need wisdom. You just don't wake up one morning and say, aha, I got it. How do we know? Well, James continues in the fifth verse. But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. And in fact, I think I, I misquoted. It uh, should be in chapter one of James writing as he begins to deal with the issue of trial. But again, he says in the fifth verse, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Ask of God. So it is the revealed will of God that a believer would have knowledge of what God is doing. Now, let's face it. You know yourself. You are acutely aware of your points of struggle. You know those areas where you thrive and those areas where you are, if you will, self-reliant. And this trial is designed to cause you to release the thing that you so covet. And often that thing is control of our lives. We want control. We want to hold the steering wheel of our lives. Additionally, the trial is designed to compel you to trust the grace of God to complete this unique work in your life. The fulfilling of the purposes of God, the maturing of the Christian, is not a self-driven endeavor. It is an endeavor that is orchestrated fueled, executed by the Spirit of God himself. For us to see what God is working on or for us to perceive what needs to be removed in our life, God uses the surgical tool of trial. A little bit of pressure must be applied to cause our hands to open up, to release, to let go of the coveted thing. We become, in a small sense, like Achan. When he saw the Babylonian garment and the wedge of silver, he coveted it. He held on to it. He buried it in his tent. It was of no use. And in fact, the coveted thing, while being coveted, often leads to consequence. But that's another subject to be dealt with later. So my friends, God would have you know what he is using the surgical knife for. Now, this is not some new revelation, but one that is centuries old. Paul, for example, caused the church at Ephesus to know this self-same truth. One of the requests that he made uh, uh, of God on behalf of the believers at the Ephesus church 
was given to us in verses 17 and 18. Chapter 1, verses 17 and 18 of, of uh, the book of Ephesians, the letter written to the church at Ephesus. And one of the things that he prayed for was that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. We need something that is heavenly origined to enable us to understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is and how God is fashioning us to be more like him in what we say, what we do, how we live, in our pleasures, in our work, in whatever capacity. God wants us to know Christ in that capacity. And in the next verse, he says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. God doesn't want dummies. He wants children who understand what he's doing in their lives and gracing them to relinquish the control that he might accomplish his purposes. Again, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, the long-term objective to be realized. And he goes on to say, and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. God wants you to know ignorance is inexcusable. And all of this would be possible when the eyes of our hearts are enlightened. So let's go on. So we often resist the work of the Spirit in our lives during the hour of testing simply because we are ignorant of what God is accomplishing or attempting to accomplish. And hence, I believe, in my opinion, we lengthen the trial beyond what it needs to be in duration. How noble, how gracious would God be if he were to shorten the trial because we willingly submitted and gladly submitted to his will and working. If we would be used of God, we must, by the grace of God, yield, embrace, beg for grace. Grace to accept the hour of trial that presses us, that squeezes us beyond our limitations. My friend, no man is able to endure a trial apart from God's grace. What do I mean by this? God's enabling power to submit to his hand of chastening discipline is the necessary component to successfully weathering this event. We, I, you, do not have resources in ourselves to empower us to embrace difficulty. That is contrary to human nature. That ability, the ability to embrace a trial is a God-given, grace-supplied event that comes as a, uh, as a result of the Christian's prayer on bended knee, asking God for grace, for wisdom, to embrace it, 
with the right spirit and the right intention for the right reasons is a grace-supplied ability. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourself. Yield to it. And then in the next verse, he says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And what's the most natural sentiment that's squeezed out of us in the midst of trial? God doesn't care. <laughs> we all feel that way. God doesn't care about me. Why am I going through this? But Peter reframes the test. And he says, submit to it. Submit to the mighty hand of God. And in due time, he will bring it to pass and bring it to an end. The Apostle Peter, writing to a different audience, touched on this same requirement by the verse we just mentioned. And this was sent to believers scattered throughout Asia Minor. He appealed to them. As I repeat, humble yourself. If I had to put it in different words, what he's saying is yield to the circumstance. Yield to the circumstance. Yield to the trial. Embrace the trial by asking God for grace. And the promise is sure, my beloved, that when the trial has done its work, he will exalt each of us in his due time. There is a set marker for the end of that trial. And we will be amazed at how soon it ended and the way it ended, having begun so quickly when we yielded. Peter gives additional exhortation, and this is important. That was in the next verse. Casting all your care upon him. The casting of this care, the, the meaning of the word, the sentiment, is similar to what, for example, the people did when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem approximately one week before his crucifixion. They took their cloaks and they threw them, not only in the way that the path he would walk or he would go on, on the uh, donkey, but they threw them on the donkey he was riding. They relinquished what they had. And they embraced him. And that which was important to them, that is the cloak, they cast it, they relinquished it, they tossed it. They did what the men in Jonah's circumstance did as well to the goods. They cast them overboard in order to save their lives and save the ship. And ultimately, they threw Jonah overboard. This casting is a giving away, a releasing, no longer to return to it. And to do that, my beloved, it requires the grace of God. Now, let's, let's go to the subject at hand, which is Joseph. In Genesis 45 and verse 7, 
I mentioned that the person wanting to be an instrument of blessing and purpose must see God's good for those around us. This is the second major requirement. They must see God's good, the blessing that will redound to the people around me. Now, you say to yourself, that's impossible. Well, let's examine what it means by seeing God's good for those around us. We, by divinely appointed wisdom, must see what change will come about in our lives and how this change will impact those near and far to us. If I had the tendency to be, just as an example, gruff or harsh in my tone, in my manner, and God through trial is fashioning gentleness and patience in the Lord Jesus Christ, then when this is fashioned, when these graces are fashioned, it must be clear to those around me that it is Christ whom they are beholding. Now, they may not realize that it is Christ in his gentleness, in his patience, in his goodness, in his loving disposition. But what God is fashioning in me is the removal surgically of this harsh, gruff behavior and the reintroduction the imparting of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the characteristics, the furnishings, the fruit of the character of Christ is being borne out in my life through this trial. It must be clear to those around me that there is a change taking place. Now, they may not be able to cognitively Grasp what is afoot because it is a work of the Spirit of God. And now, going back to uh, Joseph, given the magnitude of this young man's loss, would it be unfair to have his brothers jailed? Would it be unjust if he were to respond in the most natural human way when he sought vengeance <laughs> but I ask you this would God have the opportunity to change a handful of men from being selfish small-minded provincial and miss the golden opportunity to be larger than life itself. God was about to make a change in these men's lives and he would use Joseph. I subscribe to you that we all miss divinely sent opportunities to shine as bright lights like a north star in the eyes and hearts of those around us. Why is this so? Because all they see is darkness. All they see are the natural human responses that they themselves would have generated if they were immersed in the same circumstances that we are immersed in. And this is the fundamental reason we lacked impact in our society. 
Agnostics and atheists want evidence, evidence that the person they are observing possesses grace, ability, wherewithal to respond based on the claims of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If they are going to receive Christ, if they are going to embrace the faith, they have got to see that there is something supernatural about me, you, in the way we respond because it is otherworldly. It's not normal. Unknown to them, they are looking for extraordinary conduct, which is a rare virtue in our world. Joseph clearly stated in verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant in the earth. Joseph knew the good that would come to his family and to the surrounding world, not only Egypt. He understood God's purpose. God sent me to preserve a remnant. He understood his purpose. We resist the purposes of God because it does not align with our will and our intentions. We resist the will of God because we cannot see the bigger picture. We resist the will of God because we don't see what God intends to do in people's lives through us. And the path to that objective is the, the self-same trial we are immersed in. We don't see it. Hence, James' exhortation becomes all the more critical. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. My dear brothers and sisters, if we are undergoing trial, severe circumstances. Lest we offend God and cause the unbelieving to blaspheme God, we must ask God to open our eyes to catch a glimpse of his purpose in this very trial. This is for the benefit of others. Joseph said, God sent me. It was clear to him. These are the words of a man who saw the circumstances through the eyes of the divine. As, as we've often said so frequently on Beside Still Waters, it is viewing life on the horizontal plane from a divine perspective. Joseph exemplifies this magnificently. But I want to say to you, this is not extraordinary to Joseph. This is the calling and lot of every believer. Knowing, submitting, yielding to the Spirit of God to use the circumstances that we find grievous for God's glory. Know the experience of being nourished by the all-sufficient grace of God. That is a unique endeavor to know 
in an experiential way God's grace. Lastly, Genesis 45 and 9. The person wanting to be an instrument of blessing and purpose in God's hand must recognize, as I mentioned before, the honor that God has given to each of us as a result of this trial. What do I mean by that? That, that might seem a bit nebulous. Joseph said, and we find this in the ninth and the 11th verse, he says, Haste and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says Joseph, your son, God has made me, here it is, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. And again he says, And there I will maintain you, for yet there are five years of famine, in order that you be not impoverished. It was, the connection was really very simple. God has put me in a place of prominence with resources at my disposal, and these resources will be used for the good and benefit and blessing of Joseph's immediate household and, of course, the extended world. There are a lot of people, Christians included, desire fame and fortune. We want to be exalted. We want to stand above men. And Peter gives timely exhortation to all believers everywhere as he brought those, as, you know, he brought that message to believers scattered throughout Asia Minor. I mentioned it before, and it bears repeating. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time. There's a time at which God will raise us up, give us prominence among people. But this is not just for us to enjoy selfishly. It has a greater good, a greater purpose, a greater influence. And the responsibility is on us to submit ourselves to the trial as it presents itself. And additionally, it must be with the clear recognition that this trial is from the hand of God. And most importantly, so that we don't step out of the will of God, is recognizing when that due time has arrived. In our earnest desire to escape trial, we often interfere with the purposes of God, if that is at all possible. Not that the purposes will not be carried out as God intended, but we would be, if you will, similar to uh, Saul of Tarsus, when he was told by the risen Lord Jesus, it is difficult for you to kick against the goads. <laughs> but it is for us to submit to the will of God. I know there are some saying in their hearts, well, if you knew my circumstance, would you say it is the will of God? Should I submit to what I perceive to be a criminal activity? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying we should condone evil, nor am I saying we should uh, condone any criminal activity. What I'm simply saying is, as a believer, for the kingdom of God's sake, when I endure trial, when I endure a circumstance that has come upon me suddenly, when I endure suffering for being a Christian, that person who is suffering needs grace to embrace that trial. It needs grace to understand the scope of the will of God. It needs grace to be able to rejoice in it.
Joseph was urgent. And getting this message to his father was critical because he recognized that God preserved him, that is, Joseph, preserved Joseph, for this very reason that he might be used as God's means to bring blessing not only to Egypt, but to the immediate family. He understood why God placed him in this position of power, and now he could execute plans to preserve the entire family, the entire homestead from being poverty-stricken. And so, my friends, what is it we are called to do? Let's summarize this. What is the Spirit of God calling me to? Well, Genesis 45, 45. He's calling me to beseech him for a vision of God's intention for this trial. Get quiet with God in his presence and ask him, give me grace to understand in some small measure what about me, what is it in me you are working on? Genesis 45, 7, we must see good for those around us the blessing that would redound to them, the outflow of this inner change. How does it impact those around me? Genesis 45, 9, that I would be an instrument of blessing and purpose in God's hand and recognize that he has placed me in a position of honor. I'm not necessarily going to be the prime minister of Egypt, but God in my social circle will give me prominence. But this prominence is to be used for the increase and influence of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God works through people. But these people must be holy, separated to him, aligned with the heart of God, submitting to the workings of the events that he is bringing into our lives. God works through people who recognize that good, good, good will flow from their lives to others. Why? Because grace will be provided so that I can be a blessing. Now, are these people always deserving? Absolutely not. Many might be undeserving. But his, Joseph's brothers were not deserving of the good he, they were about to experience, but that was irrelevant. Joseph embraced the divine perspective for the earthly circumstance. God works through people who recognize that it is God and God alone who placed them in the unique circumstances with access to resources, inward or external. <laughs> for the interest of the kingdom of God. My friends, this is not an impossible achievement in the life of any believer, that is, to remain submissive in trial. But it is necessary to embrace and to receive and to beseech God, the God of grace, to provide what I need. Provide what I need, the wisdom to see it recognize it, the grace to embrace it and rejoice in the midst of it, the grace to yield to his working and his removal of that which is unholy. Oh, my friends, 
My dear friends, may God lead us to draw near to himself, as we often say, beside still waters, to beseech him. Oh, Father, we beseech you today. Give us grace to embrace trial. Give us wisdom to understand a little of the why of it and help us by your strengthening us in the inner man in Christ to bring glory and honor to your name and blessing to those around us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.